Hi everyone, Chris uh, from The Full 40 with Chris and Rob. Uh, we just got the news that uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter uh, passed away in helicopter crash uh, over in California. Um, obviously terrible, horrible news. And as a basketball podcast, we'd be remiss not to address it. Uh, obviously Kobe started his career in uh, Lower Marion High School down the street from Villanova. Um, and what I think was always impressive about Kobe was his work ethic and his determination and his attention to detail. And I think a lot of players you hear even come through the program today point to that work ethic and that desire and that drive as something that inspires them. Um, so clearly just a tremendous impact on the game from his playing days. Um, what stuck out to me, especially of late, um, was seeing how he retired gracefully um, and began to impact the game and the world more broadly. Um, he had that Academy winning uh, award winning uh, short film uh, that was a couple years ago um, and just looked like his time away and his time impacting basketball was almost just at the beginning. Um, and so obviously cut way too short um, by these tragic events, but uh, we just felt that it was important for us to at least address it before we get started on today's podcast. Um, so with that, we're going to give it a small moment and then we'll bring in Jim Nance and get right down to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's a full 40 with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider. We are in Rob's Brooklyn apartment. What, what? Coming off a 2-0 week. Yes. Uh, an interesting 2-0 week. A lot, it seemed like a lot happened this week, even though it was a 2-0 week. I mean, featured what was effectively kind of a blowout of Butler. and Yeah, didn't see that and, one coming. And a win at Providence. Um, I think we don't think we were crazy to think it was going to be a one and one week, um, and and it could have easily been an zero and two week, and to come out two and zero. I mean, just to, before we even get into the games themselves and some of the feedback there, like just taking like just being clear and like the lead here that we don't want to bury is we're sixteen and three and six and one in the Big East in the clear upper echelon with Seton Hall in the Big East, and sixteen and three is a bona fide top 10, top 15 unit right now with a good strength of schedule from out of conference. Absolutely. It's like all the metrics are really good. Um, so by saying all of that, I think Rob and I are starting to realize that maybe we had maybe we had this team a little bit pegged incorrectly or, or at least they're ed- ahead of schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm like, I was certainly happy to be wrong. Um, but we called the blowout against Ohio State. Yeah. Um, we thought they would lose a game down there. We weren't surprised to see them um, lose to Marquette or lose away games. But then since then, it's just been the team's been nailed six in a row um, in January in some tough away environments. Win at Creighton, win at Providence, beat Butler. This team's beaten number one in Kansas. Like, that's like the team's got a, like a great resume going right now. Yeah, the thing I struggle with is I look at the record and you just look at the record and say, that's awesome. Right. That is clearly a top 10 team in the country. Having watched the games, you never feel that good about them, right? And it's always, maybe we got a little too spoiled and we got used to watching a team that had five and six NBA players on it, just throttle teams. But I still, I'm just like, all right, I know the team in theory is looking better. And I test wise, the defense seems to look better. But we're squeaking out wins at Providence and we're squeaking out wins against these other teams that I just absolutely want to stomp on. So, I, I don't know, I go back and forth in my head, like, I think we're better? Are we really better? I don't know. But at, at some point, you have to say, hey, this team's mantra isn't going to be, we're going to blow you out by 20. We're going to grind it out, and we're going to win by six. Yeah. But we do enough, we get up, we get a little bit of a lead, kind of give it back to you, we'll hold on to it, and maybe that's what they do. 
the ability to hold on and to win games when they struggle mightily and go through offensive stretches, which seems like 10 minutes at a time, yeah. where they can't put the ball in the basket and still be able to grind teams out and like and, and win games is pretty impressive. And when they, I mean, they salted away a huge lead to Butler and then ended up building that lead right back all the way up. Yeah. I mean, that was an impressive effort. Uh, you look at DePaul where they gave away a big lead late, and they, but in overtime, they weren't shook. Right? Providence, they were up as much as, I think, 11 or maybe even a little bit more yeah, than that. Yeah, and like never, that. never got shook. Like that whole game, I felt like Providence fans felt like they probably ran out of time to win that game. Yeah. But we held them at like four points, five points, six points, between three and six points, basically, for like what felt like an hour of like real lifetime. Like, it, oh my God, yeah. It, it, but like probably like more like eight to 10 minutes of, of gameplay. But like it, it, at some point in time, that's a skill in and of itself. Yeah, I agree. Now I'm curious to see what happens if we play a team and, you know, we get up, the other team claws back and builds a big lead. Are we going to be able to fight back from 10 down or 12 down? I don't know about that because I just haven't seen the offensive firepower to do it, but we'll see. Look, like you said, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule. Relative to the rest of the country, you can't argue with the performance and the record at this point. No. There are, as we've talked about, there are no good teams. There are no great teams across the country. What our team is putting out day in and day out could absolutely be a top five team. Yeah. And could win a national title. Yes. Like that is not far. Right. Saying that sounds ridiculous, but there is nobody I could point to to be like, yes, this team has the inside track to beat the, to win the title yeah. against us. Of all the teams I've seen, Baylor impresses me the most. Mm. Is part of that because we played them and maybe I'm like riding them a little bit because I, like, I tend to follow teams that beat us. Yeah, but Ohio State's falling off the cliff. Yeah, I, it's... I mean, I would have thought this shocks me. But like, I watched Baylor. I play. I watched Baylor play Florida last night. Baylor just looked good. Yeah, and Florida's not a bad team. And Baylor just looked straight up way better. And they won at Florida. And they beat Kansas pretty good. Like at Allen. Like I, to me, Baylor seems to be that team. Scott Drew in March. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no tracker. There's, there's not a big track record there. So, you know, I, I don't want to turn, turn into going down a rundown of all these teams and what they can do. But y- y- when you look down through it and you actually look at the teams and their performance, yeah, I mean, I was just talking about this with a friend yesterday. Like, is it out of the realm of possibility to suggest that this team could get hot in March and win six straight games? No, it's not. It's really actually not that crazy. Ugh, it's so weird to think it's about. It's super weird to think about. Now, I I will say this. We haven't seen this team get quote-unquote hot yet. No. There's, there's never been a hot, like we are just throwing teams like out of the gym. Has not happened. No. So I don't know that it can happen. Hopefully we've talked about it. If the offense starts clicking, you know, at some point you're like, will the offense click? I don't know. Yeah, correct, right. Yes. Yeah, you, you are how you perform yeah. to a certain degree, right? So like, but... That 2015-2016 team in particular was, if I remember correctly, I mean, they shot the ball fine in the yeah. first half of the season. But I remember saying, man, if this team can just turn on the Jets and hit shots, and the second half of the season or, and the last, or the last third or whatever, yeah. like the team got super hot. And we talked about it a couple podcasts ago. It was literally like the best six-game yes. shooting performance in Jay in Wright's, decade, yeah, yeah, basically in Jay Wright's era. Yeah. Right. So good timing. Timing timing kills. Yeah, so timing matters. So if this if this team's regression to the mean is getting real hot shooting in March, yeah, I'm in. Sign yeah. me up. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Um I, the one thing to call out you pointed out is, you know, is it just other teams? Are we getting lucky? Is it other teams? Ken Palm has like a luck factor yeah. that suggests that we are kind of lucky. But to me, I you got to give credit to the defense, right? If the other team's here in footsteps and they can't throw the ball in the bucket, like that matters. Yeah. And Providence couldn't hit the broad side of the barn yesterday. Butler, aside from their, uh, aside from um, McDermott, no, Kamar McDermott Baldwin. couldn't. Yeah, come, uh, aside from Kamar Baldwin, McDermott couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. Um, aside from Kamar Baldwin, couldn't hit anything in their game against us. Like at some point in time, like that just becomes. Our defense is now good, yeah. and I think our defensive transformation is this might be Jay's best defensive 
coaching season ever right now. That's uh, that's saying a lot. Well, I'm pointing at the innate talent of the team, and I'm pointing at where the team was at at the beginning of the season, and not even the beginning of the season, like literally like a month ago, mm-hmm. right? Like before the Kansas game, this team was bad defensively, like not a good unit. And now we are, I think, one of the better defensive units already. So like to, to now, make and, that and big to say of a that, switch. I mean, just say that like it's a little bit eye test, right? It's so, like Ken Palm has us like 68th defensively. So it's, it's not like we're a top five defensive team, right? Correct. But we've I mean, jumped quite a bit. I, w- I was going to say, yeah, like trending absolutely in the right direction. Right. That's my point is that our defensive effort has got uh, – defensive everything has gotten way better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to me, I, there's still a lot of flaws. This team's still growing a lot. Like, there's still a lot of moments of frustration. But, yeah, this, this way, this trajectory that this team's on is really exciting. I really like this team. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, we still got a lot of season left, which yeah. is fun for us. All right. So, takeaways from the week? Yeah, so takeaways from the week. So, I went to the Butler game. Just a little tidbit there. I was down on campus doing a little bit of recruiting for my firm. Uh, so I was there the whole day. Is this your first pavilion, new pavilion experience? This is. This oh, was my nice. first new okay, pavilion. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so just some takeaways just from everything. So you have the first shitty level. seats or the elite tier lower level no, seats? No, I had the shitty the shitty seats. Oh, yeah, so they wouldn't let you downstairs. Yeah, no, nice. so I couldn't yeah, go downstairs. Yeah. I was only allowed on one floor. Good, 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 yeah. That being said, that With floor, the, the second floor is still pretty nice. That's it's fine. Yeah, fine. yeah. you just yeah. feel you, know, you just feel like you're locked up. It doesn't make you're a second class citizen. It doesn't make a whole lot no. of sense. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the whole experience of going to a basketball game at the Pavilion has entirely changed. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, totally different experience. I mean, there wasn't an experience. No, previously. no. Beforehand, <laughs> if you weren't in the student section, which was kind of cool, it was like those. It was kind of cool in that it was shitty and it kind of felt like really um, intimate. Yeah, kind yeah, of. Like, yeah, I'm grasping for straws. Yeah, yeah, you're like really looking for positives. Yeah. Aside, if you weren't there, it was an awful experience. The sound system didn't work. Yeah. Like, it was just a bad it, it was, yeah. experience. Um, DJ007 did not love his job at that point. He, <laughs> he said like, he did, eh, but he, he was lying. Did, yeah. um, just want to talk real quick. Uh, side note, but my God, campus looks amazing. Like the the new dorms are all fully kind of open and yep. accessible. The performing arts center is like almost open. So it's so cool. It's so cool it. looking. Yeah. Like the whole campus is just looks totally different. It looks what we said like it was gonna look like a complete campus. Yeah. As opposed to like a campus on one side of, of a road and then just a parking lot where yeah. it kind of looked like a half campus. Now it looks like a legitimate university when you drive through villanova you feel like you're driving through a university it is really cool it's um, amazing what 10 years can do yeah it is crazy yeah um so kudos to all involved there like i can't say enough about that i was like walking around i was like this is this is unbelievable that said one question mark um my wife and i were discussing this when we were down there last time so they like tore up mendel field and they like made this big thing we walked by we're like i think it's the same it looks like exactly the same. We're like, maybe we missed something. I, I didn't go that far. Oh, I, gotta I have go to check admit. it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Business school guy. I don't have to go that far. I was just in Bartley. <laughs> uh, um, whatever, dude. I, I, was, up, I was in Delora. I had to walk so far. <laughs> I hit up Connolly for a cheesesteak. <laughs> um, so that's my note there. The pavilion. Look, I have my comments. We, we've talked about this before. I have my comments on on the fact that they should have done something much broader. Um, broader in scope. Well, but- can, can we take a minute? Let's actually take a minute on this little, little sidebar here. This was, was not planned at all. So Nicole and I actually had an interesting discussion about this. You kind of wonder, given that there are, like this year in particular, have made such an effort to migrate so many games to Wells Fargo and actually to further integrate with the Philadelphia sports scene, you kind of wonder a little bit like, hey, one... Was there actually a bigger plan in mind? And two, did they actually make the right decision? What I'm getting at here is we have, what, seven games at Wells Fargo this year? Right. Eight games or whatever it is, right? Huge. We also have more of a marketing partnership with, um, I think it's with the Flyers in particular. They were doing like a joint like Flyers, like Villanova thing. Like there is clearly a combined effort going on there. And then you kind of wonder, okay, we're getting way more eyeballs there. 
for those games. We're getting way more people there. You're getting different types of people who are going to those games, right? Because it's going to be the people who are going to the Pavilion games are the same, like, 6,000 people who have season tickets because those are basically the only people who can buy them. When we move over to Wells Fargo, it opens it up to a lot broader audience. So you're saying, okay, maybe there's more dollars there. Certainly have more eyeballs. From a recruiting standpoint, it's probably a lot cooler to say we play a lot of games at the Wells Fargo Center. It also juices up the guys so they're ready to step into big arenas come March. And then you put all these pieces together and you say, huh, does it actually make sense for us to have just kind of kept the pavilion where it is? Because even if we added another 1,000 seats, even if you had another 2,000 seats of the pavilion, who you're getting? You're getting another 1,000, 2,000 Radnor folks. What does that actually do to advance the university and change the trajectory? I don't know that it does anything. I'm not sure the point is to advance. Like, I get everything should be done with that in mind. But I think that they have demand to get to sell out every single game. And I think that that could have gone another 2,000 seats. Do I think, and I think that matters. I also think that the overall look of it, whatever, like, yeah, I, I like the ski lodge kind of like peak, like circus tent type of ceiling. Does it have some element of charm? I guess, yes. Right, like I, mean, I kind of felt it did when I first went. It kind of wore off for me. I would have preferred that they had more corners. I would have preferred that they put they had more student seating in there. I thought that they could have had like maybe even a cool like young alum section. Here's I'm or, just saying I'm or just saying something like I don't know. I thought that I think that I get your point. I, my ne- my my thought was never to put like a twelve thousand seat arena. There, my thought was always like eight, nine, ten max, and I think it. Ma- I think it would matter. I think like an extra two grand in there would make a difference. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I would not be surprised if over the next few years you actually see a pretty significant increase in the number of games we have, average number of games we have played. At oh, Wells Fargo. I'm sure they will, and and that was actually they said that was part of the plan. Yeah. They said that going and doing more at Wells Fargo was part of the plan, and when you have a broader, bigger national university with a basketball powerhouse program, you are going to get more fan agnostic type fans in there. Yeah. Um, like to, to come and see a game and say, oh, well, you know what? Like the number 15 team is playing whoever this yeah. week. So I, I'm going to go. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. Just, you know, as I get farther and farther from my days on campus, I'm actually getting a little bit more and more comfortable with the approach they've taken. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's nice to go back to campus every so often, but... Am I fussed about like not being able to go to a pavilion game? Nah, not really. Like I hear you. I hear you. I, I mean, I definitely get it. Yeah. Um, anyway. So anyway, it took anyways, us way off track. So anyway, it was my first time yeah. down there. Um, I, I, I love the job that they did. And this is something that you and I talked about before, too, is that whatever. If you agree with it, you don't agree with it, whatever. You can't disagree that they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Like, it's terrific. Sure. It's a great experience. It's like... Everything in there is like high quality. The, the, the concessions were really good. Um, they had a nice little store in there, which was different and unique. They had a lot of great scoreboards, use of technology. The sound system was excellent. Like everything in there, the bathrooms, like everything in there, soup to nuts, was like done with a very high quality level, branded well, looks like Villanova's home court. And for that, I was like very impressed. Yeah. I was also like, you see it on TV and it's one thing. You see it live, like the whole intro thing yeah, with, the, super cool. with the music and like the way that they're able to project on the court. Like it's way nicer in there than it is at like Wells Fargo, for oh, example. That, that's actually true. Right? Like yeah. it, it looks fabulous. And so, I, I mean, I thought that the whole environment was, was really well done. I you're not, I don't know how they fixed it, but the but the but the the place was dead quiet. Yeah. For most of the game, I mean, we're playing like a top. It's a top fifteen matchup, and like the students were barely cheering. Yeah. Like, and I was sitting behind them, so it's not like yeah, one of those things yeah, where yeah. I was sitting like far away, so I just you know yeah. acoustics wise couldn't hear them. I was sitting behind them. Yeah. When they were cheering, I could hear it. They were not cheering for most of the game, so the students were not. Yeah. Effective. The. The other fans just snore snooze fest. Absolutely, and, and it's circular too. It's it's such a, a bad cycle that happens because 
when there aren't people cheering, you don't want to be that guy who's cheering and is loud and obnoxious, so you stay quiet, and it just absolutely kills the atmosphere. Yeah. And it's kind of hilarious, too, because they've done such a good job building that better sound system. Yeah. DJ 007's at every game, Yeah, and he's pounding away. He's like got like turbulence yeah. and and uh, Zombie Nation and like everything going every time out. Like Sandstorm, whatever. Like it's just building and building so much energy, so much energy to try and pump energy into that arena. Yeah. And literally, the moment it stops, it's quiet. Ab- it's absolutely. It's so It's weird. terrible. It's so terrible. Best fans in the country. Yeah, best, best fans in the country. Terrible. Um, so, yeah, so sorry. Huge sidebar. Yeah. But, but felt like that was worth mentioning. The game, though, great effort to, like, throughout, especially through the end of the first half. Built that lead up at the beginning of the second half. Oh, my God. We talked about it before. But just, like, total inability to score for, like, 10 straight minutes. Yeah. And Kamar Baldwin was killing us with his, like, fadeaways that he couldn't miss. Oh, my God. The one play, it was so good. I was so impressed. Bay, so Baldwin, I think, like, backed Bay down. It's kind of low in the post. He does three to four head fakes. He's all over the place on his pivot foot. Bay just stays on him so tightly. Could not have done anything else defensively. And Baldwin does exactly what you just said. It's kind of lean back, little fadeaway, just buried it right over him for two. And I was like, there was nothing Sadiq could have done better on that play. And he was just, he was feeling it. Yeah. That's it. Like, I mean, look, they actually didn't shoot that poorly aside, aside from Sean McDermott. Oh, Sean McDermott was patently he was, he was one, awful. He was one for 11. Yeah, that's really bad. But the, yeah. For a guy who, for them, that that's the guy who needs to shoot the ball. Yeah. Like, he needs to shoot the ball well. Yeah, he's one of the leading scorers. Yeah. We talked about it last podcast. Yeah. So that was that was huge. But yeah, this was a players from our side. This was a Samuels. This is a, a real team effort. Samuels it was. Samuels had 20. I think everyone was they almost had 14. In, I think everyone was in double digits. We had five guys in double digits. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I'm starting to feel really good about our starting five. Like, I really, like... <sighs> Moore, Gillespie, Bay, Samuels, and JRE all are really coming along. And I think they're all amongst the better players at their respective positions in the conference. Not the best. Like, yeah, obviously, yeah, you yeah. got Powell and Howard. Like, sure. you can't say the best. But, like, they're all really good. Yeah, there aren't too many players that you would trade for those guys at no. this point. No. There, there really are. I think you're I think you're spot on. And actually you said you're starting five. Obviously Moore doesn't start. He's sixth man. Um, Sorry, which, Moore is my Moore's in my starting five. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Might uh, not be in Jay's, but he's in mine. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Cole Swider later. Yeah. Um but anyway. So my takeaways from the Butler game is how could you not be impressed? I was just came out of that game amped. I was amped for like twenty four hours. I called you yeah. like the next morning, like yeah, can you we did. talk about this? Like Yeah, I was like I was like, Why are you calling me? Is the game was yesterday. Yeah. Oh, I was just God. so pumped. I just really thought it was one of those games where you saw bits and pieces of improvement, and it wasn't until Butler game. Maybe it was me seeing it live, but I got this vibe from everyone else that it was like a click for me that this team had come a long way. Yeah. And I was like, fuck yeah. This is what I wanted this to see. Great. It was a great it was, win. It was a terrific win. And Butler had been in a little bit of a slump. They got off the schneid by beating Marquette in an overtime game on Friday night. I think Butler's going to be fine. Do I think that they're a top 10 team? No. no. Do I think they're a top 20 team? Absolutely. So I think Butler's going to be fine. They just need to kind of get back a little bit of a shooting slump and they'll be fine. All right. I want to talk Providence because I feel like Providence, even though Butler was the game that we were coming in talking a lot more about, Providence has ended up being the game that I feel like there's a lot more to discuss as yeah. a result of. I think you're right. I think you're um, right. So there's so many different ways to slice this game and we'll try to do our best to hit it. There's like three major topics that I want to hit here. One, I want to talk about Cole Swider mm. in particular, but our but in the context of our subs more generally. Yeah. Two, and probably we'll talk about this first, is Jermaine Samuels and what appears to be a foot injury. Yep. And three, I want to talk about Brian Antoine. Da-da-da! Yeah. So... Broad strokes about the game before we just launch into those major topics. I thought that the win yesterday, like all things considered, was a hugely impressive victory on the road at a place that we typically struggle at. 
and everyone struggles that. The dunk is, I've said this before, is like another dimension. Um, it's a very challenging place to play. The fans are right on top of you. It's like very gets very loud in there. They're very supportive of their home team. For whatever reason, and it happened yesterday in my mind, the refs seemed to give them a lot of home cooking. I thought we were very much on the recipient of a bad whistle yesterday. They flopped all over the place and got calls. Oh, my calls. God. There were some terrible yeah, calls. Yeah. So, so all of that being said, like a gutty, gritty win under all the circumstances. Yeah. The chief amongst those circumstances was Jermaine came up gimpy in the end of the first – towards the end of the first half with – Apparently something with his what seemed to be at the time like his lower leg, but you couldn't figure out did he did he yeah. turn his ankle? Like we actually like watched they showed a replay of the play. You couldn't and tell. You couldn't no, tell what no. the heck happened. And so he get, he actually went back in the game a little bit then and a little bit I believe at the beginning of the second half he played for like a, a minute. Not yeah, even. yeah, it was very. And short. then they had to pull him. And Jay said at that press conference after the game that the arch of his foot was bothering him and they felt it was best to not give it a go. What that tells me is there is an indefinite injury. Not a doctor, but we just don't know. <laughs> an indefinite injury? What, is that, what does that mean? Indefinite, You're basically saying nothing. It, yeah. yeah, correct. I'm saying nothing. Yeah, I, right. I don't know. I, like, there's, no in, there's no information that as of the time of this podcast, which it's 6 o'clock sure. on, on Sunday night, we have no further information as to what this injury could be. Yeah, it could be a bone, could be a ligament, could be a muscle, who knows. It could be a million things. Yeah. But you definitely need feet. So, so <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. So we're definitely cautiously concerned with that injury. I think specifically, and I tweeted this yesterday, if you ever needed to know how impactful Jermaine Samuels and important Jermaine Samuels is to this team, the whole second half basically without him in there – was a testament to that because yeah. we were really lacking and had to do a lot. Jay was playing offense, defense pretty much the entire second half. Yeah, it was uh, pretty painful. It was really painful, and we had to grind it out. And kudos to the team and to Jay for getting a win in that environment under those circumstances. But my goodness, how impactful Jermaine is to the entire team between defense, between his ability to shoot the ball, between his ability to put the ball on the floor and get by a guy and, and get up and dunk it, his athleticism, his hustle, everything was on display. Yep. And in how much we missed it by not having Samuels on the floor for the entirety of the second half. Totally. For a couple minute spurts at a time, you can hide something like that. You could, We couldn't hide it. Like We were oh, no. definitely missing him that second half yesterday. And I think that was the story. Uh, I mean... Holding on was the story, but like the second, like one B story was not having Samuels was the reason why that game wasn't that could, game could have been a twenty point win for us. Yeah, it should. I mean, it with Samuels been. in that game. Yeah, we were up seven at half. We scored. We only scored twenty seven points in the second half, and ten minutes in, we had scored ten. Right. So it's and a lot of it was free throws. Real, real slow start. Picked yeah. it up a little bit at the end, kind of out of necessity, but. Yeah, it was, it was really rough to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, Samuels, uh, I mean, I hope Jermaine is fine. I hope it's kind of one of those weird, like, you twinge it type of things um, in in the middle of a game and you give it a rest and you rest up a little bit and you're fine. Obviously, we'll learn a lot more come Tuesday against yeah, St. John's. Yeah, quick turnaround, but, yeah. Um, let's just hope that he's okay. Yeah. I, Jermaine is so critical. We've talked about this so much on the podcast, and I don't think we could stress this point enough. Jermaine, this team goes as Jermaine goes. Yeah. I firmly believe that because I believe Bay and Colin are like clear known entities. I think JRE is even a known entity, at least on the glass. Um, and Moore is an improving player. But Jermaine's impact, especially on the rebounding front too. Yesterday we got killed on the glass. Um, I just think we really this team really needs Jermaine if this team's going to go a long distance uh, in March this year. Yep. No, I'm with you. All right. So point two, and it kind of parlays that because with Jermaine out, the natural players to fill that void that can kind of do similar things in theory are Slater and Swider. Yeah, yes, yeah. in theory. In theory. 
and you almost wish you could kind of like combine Slater and Swider to make like a Samuels replacement. Wow, that'd be a nice player. Yeah, yeah, right. Jay really struggled with this, and he was going offense-defense quite a bit because I think he's a good kid, and I think he's got a lot of uh, I think he's got a lot of good things that he's going to bring, and I think he's going to be a very successful player by the time he's done. But Swider just doesn't have it defensively. Yeah, he, he is. He's just really struggles defensively in, in a variety of ways. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not going to give you that expert analysis that you've come to love here on the full 40, but it's pretty clear. Like, we called out um, Jay a couple weeks ago for yelling at Justin Moore, saying, pass the fucking ball. Cole is definitely going to get the pass the fucking ball award of the week because yeah. obviously not about that, but about defense. Like, Jay was just reaming him out. Yeah. After a couple possessions and a couple fouls, it, and, like, it was. It, it's just he's got to do. There are things that he can do. I mean, like he's getting lost in the switching, which I understand it's a complicated system, but he's getting lost out there. There were several times where he's just like playing. He's like a free safety, but he's not doing anything that's helping. He's not getting in. He wasn't getting in position for rebounds. I, I just found that he was missing at certain points in time, even offensively. like I was going to say, it, it's one thing if you're missing defensively, but you're making up and you're knocking down five threes a game. But he right? couldn't get open. He wasn't moving out the ball. He wasn't creating opportunities for the guards to feed him the ball by like creating good angles for passes. And so he kept hurting us, on both. I, I thought, on both, both sides of the ball, um, and especially defensively. And you could see... You can see you saw it at the start of the Butler game because oh, Jay God. had him start the Butler game, and he had to sub him out within not even two minutes because the opposing team just knows do a couple switches, get Swider down low, and then give the ball down low, and the big man's going to go to work. Yeah, yeah, and it's just obvious. Yeah, no, they absolutely dropped plays. They did it in Providence. They did it against Butler. It was pretty clear. Yeah, um, so he's got to step it up. He's got to step it up. All right, so that's point two. I have a lot more patience for a guy like Slater, who I do think does create defensive uh, opportunities for mm-hmm, us, mm-hmm. Um, hustles his ass off, gets boards, and is generally in the mix, what it seems like. I'm not saying Slater doesn't make mistakes. He makes plenty. Sure. But I have a lot more patience for a guy like Slater, even though his offense, he doesn't bring anything to the table offensively. Yeah. Nothing. Can't hit, can't hit three. He had a shot. Do I think he'll eventually be able to do it? Yeah, I, you could see by the way he shoots the ball that he's got decent form. Yeah. It's not about it's not about talent or form or anything like that. He's just lacks. He just looks like he lacks confidence. He looks like Jermaine. He looks like Jermaine. Well, like might, two years I ago. mean, maybe he just doesn't have the green light either. Too. Yeah. Could no, I will, doubt he has. Could very well be playing. Yeah. Playing into it. Yeah. But I, I think the I think the synopsis from that is like, hey, going back to this point about Jermaine, it shows just how important it is, and we're basically getting not a lot of contribution from the guys who you would deem role players to complementary players. When a couple years back, you had you know six men like Josh Harv or whoever it is that are stepping in and really contributing to that. Yeah. And it's just, we don't have The that. last several years and every year Jay's had a truly excellent team. He's had a defined sixth man who plays starter level minutes very capably and would start on almost every other team in the conference and maybe even the country. Which right now is Justin Moore. Right. Which... Justin Moore is the quote-unquote sixth man because he's trying to get Swider into there because he's looking for Moore to bring energy off the bench. Yeah. Um, and Moore has gotten enough experience that he can handle the ball handling duties while Collins out. For sure. And so that's part of the reason why he wants Moore to be the sixth man. But right now he clearly cannot play Swider all that much as the starter role, and he needs more. More plays an outsized amount of minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, and one thing that is also interesting, we talked about this, is is, is Demir Cosby Roundtree was like just cannot see the floor. He was getting more minutes on his defense, offense, defense switches that he was doing, but he yeah. cannot, he can't get on the floor. Yeah. Um, and that's also problematic. And so he needs to expect. I'm kind of convinced that. In order for Demir to get more minutes next year, because at this point I just don't see a pathway for him yeah, this I'd be year. Surprised. He needs to be able to shoot the ball from long distance. Yeah, or if at he, least mid range. Yeah. At least mid range. Yeah. If he is not a threat to shoot, he's really not going to get his time on the floor. Yeah, I think that's right. But this all leads us to the point of, and, and the announcers made the the comment a couple times, especially in the Providence game. 
Colin got in foul trouble. Justin got in foul trouble. We're down Jermaine. And the announcer said, well, Villanova's short on the backcourt position. And I kept sitting there with Nicole saying, huh. If only we had a guy. If only we had a guard who was very good that we could put in the game. Yep. So the last topic of your three, Mr. Brian Antoine. Mr. Brian Antoine. And I want to preface this conversation with a stat, and we can't take credit for, for, for pulling the stat out. Our friend brought this to our attention. And we did let him know, our friend Paul, yeah. but we did let him know this is going on the podcast. But Jay Wright is like has one of the least minutes wise bench usage of any like major successful program over the course of the last five years. Yeah. Like which most programs average like thirty eight percent of points or minutes or whatever from their bench, and Jay's is like twenty two percent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big difference. It's a it's a major difference. And so we know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, Jay likes to play six guys a lot. And and then he has typically like, it's a typically like a seven and a half man rotation. Yeah. In that he's got two other guys that he kind of plays a little bit more. We saw that in 18 was a great example of that, where he had DiVincenzo off the bench. And then he had um, Gillespie play quite a bit. And then Demir Cosby Roundtree played quite a bit. And yeah. Samuels couldn't see the floor that yep, year. Yep, yep. Um, and between Gillespie and DCR kind of combined to be one and a half in terms of that. Um, then you had, in 16, you had the same thing. You had Dow Reynolds was kind of deep in the bench. You had Booth as the sixth man. Um, and McHale was the seventh guy. So you had, so, so Jay likes that amount of players and he really doesn't deviate from that. Even if the talent and his depth on the bench goes 10 deep, he just... He can't. He, he doesn't yeah, seem but, to be able but, to do but, it. But I mean, th- that point aside, like that, that's all well and good. The point is, yeah. you've got two guys in foul trouble. Yes. we've got a man down, and for some reason, we have a five-star recruit who, yes, I know he was hurt, and yes, I know he's farther behind in his progression. Somehow, can't see the light of day and can't get off the bench. That blows my mind. Yes. you're telling me that he is yes. not good enough to earn five minutes when right. our Two point yeah. guards are out. Correct. That's insane. Yeah. You I, don't, the, I don't believe it. You hit the nail. Don't believe you hit the nail on the head. Hundred percent. I'm trying to just to provide a little bit of that context. Your context is too long. You're right. Everybody gets it. He you're runs, right. He runs you're a right. short bench. Like he should be on the floor. I don't get it. It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Brian Antoine. I'll cut to the chase here. I'm whole wholeheartedly on the same board as Rob here. Brian Antoine should have been on the fucking court yesterday. Period. Yeah. I, so to me. The fact that he wasn't on the court now tells me that there, that I, there's got to be smoke there. Like, yeah, there's smoke, there's fire. Ugh. Like, what is going on? I don't. I, like, I just, like, yeah. like, I'm sorry. Like, you have to ask the question: What the fuck is going on? Because if you can't get on the floor when you're when you have two, your two only guards, your two only ball handlers, are four fouls apiece with ten minutes left to go in the game who are seen so many minutes, you have an injury to another player, and you're going offense-defense, and you're telling me that that a five-star All-American stud point guard... You're not a point guard, but yeah. Sorry, it's two guards, what I meant to say, sorry. Cannot see the floor at all yeah. is absolute garbage. I just re- yeah, yeah, I just refuse to believe yeah. he is that bad. Correct. That, like, that seems impossible to me. Right. When it was Quinterly last year, we knew that... The issue with Quinterly was clearly the posting on Instagram, sure. the other cultural things of the program that he didn't seem to grasp. Everything that's been said about Antoine, and you've heard no, no noise, no, no, no. and everything that you've said about Antoine seems to indicate that he's bought in and he's doing everything that he's supposed to do, etc. If that's actually true, I have a hard time believing that he wouldn't have seen the court. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. At this point, I'm... Yeah. I'm really questioning. I'm questioning Jay. Like I, I just don't know. I, I really, I'm just flabbergasted by what's happening. Yeah, right, right. And like when we say questioning Jay, we're not saying we're questioning his coaching abilities. We're saying that like Jay, like I'm sorry, but like with this, you, you the doors open. You like it'd be it, we'd be not doing our quote unquote job as podcasters yeah. to not ask that question. Right? Everyone's got to be oh, thinking. Well, the media asked it every time in the post game. Oh. Why didn't Brian see the floor? Well, yeah, we'll come up with something else. I'm like, I don't know, Jay. I, I bought it. I gave him the benefit of the doubt yeah. early in the season. He's like, oh, he's coming along. He's coming along. 
And then I, he gave the interesting answer about, like, oh, I'm relying on the other five guys. We talked about this last time. You know what you're getting from the other five guys at this point. We right. know what the top five are. We know what they're bringing. We know what they're not bringing. If he's not good enough to see the floor, I don't I just, I just don't believe that. Yeah. I, I just fundamentally don't believe that. Uh, like, you're telling me, like, for all we went through earlier about Cole Swider and Brandon Slater of, like, you know, what they bring, what they don't bring to the floor, I have to, I would be shocked if Antoine can't bring something more than either of those two guys. I had something that Antoine could have brought. Um, like five minutes of a little bit of fresh legs, energy, and fouls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, right. And, and to a team that could have used a lot of that. Yeah, um, coming down the stretch yesterday. For sure, we looked exhausted. Yeah, coming down the stretch, we were playing offense, defense because we have no players who can do it. I get it. Antoine looks lost defensively, but you can't mean to tell me that he can't sneak open for an open bucket. Yeah, that he can't. That he can't shoot a gap to, to interrupt a passing lane. Yeah. Like, he's athletic enough to jump, jump over the freaking rim. Yeah. He's so athletic. Right? Like, I'm, I, I, we're not buying it. Yeah. I, I've reached a point where I'm no longer buying it. Yeah. Like, something is awry. And I, I want to get to, I really do want to get to the bottom of it. I, I, but I don't think we will. I don't think we will either. But I, now I'm getting to the point where I'm nervous that this kid's transferring at the end of the, at the, end of the season. Yeah. Uh, I get to that, that conclusion too. Right? Because... If no one leaves the program, and there's a conversation to be had about Bay, but if no one leaves the program this year, you've literally, we have all the players returning, plus Caleb Daniels comes in. Yeah. Right? Plus Eric Dixon's red shirts is burnt. Yeah. Right? So now you've just added another two players, including one at the same general broad position, position yeah. to the mix. Is Antoine going to see the floor next year? Right, like, like, right, like, you got to ask the question. And we did say, even when the injury timetable was later than we expected, uh, sorry, was later initially, yeah, than it was initially, and it got a little bit earlier. We said by late January, Antoine needs to be seeing the floor. It is late January. It's late January. He got done with his injury sooner, and he's not seeing the floor. It's very strange. All right. Um, should we talk a little bit about, you mentioned it, talk quickly about Mr. Sadiq Bey, who is yeah. playing out of his mind right now? Yeah, so as always, when everything goes well, there's always like a little bit of like a, so when that happens, this happens. Yeah. And and that right now is Sadiq Bey, who is playing out of his mind. And I would imagine that the NBA scout ticket allotment that we have is getting more and more interest yeah. as the season goes on. I would think so. And so what we're seeing now is Sadiq Bey is crawling onto draft boards. Yeah. Some in the first round, late in the first yeah, round. Yeah, Athletic has him up at 22, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a reality of where we are as a program and where's and how great Sadiq is. Yeah. Um this early on in his career. And I mean, look, I'm all I'm all in the camp. If he has just a killer year, he gets that first round guarantee. Good luck, man. Like You'll kill it. Just, just go leave. Selfishly, I want him. To, I'd love to have have him for another year because he will be an absolute killer next year. I can't even fathom how good he's going to be next year. He's going to tear people apart. Barring just an otherworldly performance in the NCAA tournament, where it's like clear, like uh, like a DiVincenzo, where yeah, like yeah. he clearly is like has to go because he'll almost go into the lottery and he'll totally change his position. Let's just to say it all holds pretty steady. And his broad speaking draft position is looking like it's going to be a late first rounder, early second rounder, bona fide. Yeah. Not like a not like a Pascal or or like a Dante Cunningham, a Darren Hilliard type. I'm yeah, talking yeah. like bona fide. Like he will get picked late first round, early second. Do you think he goes? I have this weird hunch that if he's in that position, given that he's got two years left, not one, I get this. Weird hunch that he actually stays another year because I think he might say, I could become a lotto yeah. the following year. Yeah. And, it, and it, sorry, one just Yeah. The reason why you wouldn't stay is if you're a junior, you might say, if something, God forbid, bad happens. Of course. And I get injured, I've now missed my chance. If you got two years left, though, it's a little bit of a different equation because you always have that final year in college. To kind of get that done. I don't know why Sadiq strikes me as a guy who likes being in college, who really buys into the, who, who appreciates getting coached by Jay, and could be one of those things where he enters his name into the draft this year, 
gets feedback and comes back. Mm-hmm. And I could see him doing that, almost pushing it to the limit and coming back for the year. Similar how Josh Hart, um, also from same high school, did it a few years back yeah. after 16 and then going into 17. I could see Sadiq Bey kind of doing a similar situation. It's Yeah, I think everything you said makes sense. I will say this. Sadiq is actually pretty old. So he's already 20. He's going to turn 21 by the end of the school year. So that means if he sticks around for another whole year, he'll be 22 years old going into the draft. So I will tell you this. There's no way he's going to be here for a senior year. Just not a chance. No. Like, NBA doesn't really do... We're not really drafting 23-year-olds at this point, certainly not in the lotto. Um, So Max, he's got one more year at this point. Correct. The the other thing you'd think about is, hey, how strong is the draft, right? This year is supposed to be a particularly weak draft. So if he does start climbing, there are definitely some names in there that are talked about in the early first round or mid-first round that people aren't that excited or that bought in on. So if he's the guy who you can say, hey, look, he is kind of a physical specimen, he's got the broad toolkit, and yeah, we can improve or tweak a couple things. Maybe he does work his way into that first round guarantee, in which case, see you later. So I think a lot of it hinges on just how the rest of the season plays out. I think he's going to have to have not just a similar trajectory, but an accelerated trajectory for the rest of the year for him to actually make the jump and make the decision to leave. So Knock on wood, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good unless we happen to make a deep run, in which case it's probably keyed by him. And I'm feeling pretty good either way because if he goes and gets into the draft, then I think something good has yeah. really happened. And if he stays, then uh, we still get to see him play another year in a Villanova uniform. Absolutely. But I think either way it looks good. And for all the reasons we just mentioned, they could open up playing opportunities for other players who – sorely clearly need it if he were to leave so for sure i think there's something to be said for that too yeah okay should we do a quick look ahead yeah quick look ahead this is a week that i'm gonna go right ahead and say we got we're at st john's and then we're home versus creighton mm-hmm. and i'm expecting a two and oh week this week and, i would agree with you and why do i say that st john's I, I gotta admit, I think they're. Why play- do you say that? Because we're playing two teams that aren't that great. Yeah, yeah. And the one team that's decent, we're playing at home. Yeah. So yeah, it's fair. not it's not a hot take. Fair, fair. It's not a hot take, right? St. John's has impressed me how well they pl- they're playing under Very the athletic. new coach. <laughs> they're not nearly as athletic as they were under. Uh, Chris's favorite is saying St. John's is athletic. Yeah, under He's been Chris saying Mullen. that for like ten years. But the new coach, Mike Anderson, is a much better coach than Mullen. Mullen wasn't a good coach. Chris Mullen was a phenomenal coach. I don't know what you're talking about. He <laughs> deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. God, he was fucking atrocious. He was such a bad coach. He was he was literally the golden child of St. John's, and he lasted, what, three years? No, I think he was actually five. Shit, was he there that yeah, long? Yeah, he was there Holy for a cow. while. He did he, nothing. He was given a lot of opportunity. Look, I, I just think it was one of those things where he just was, it wasn't in his... It wasn't his bones to be a coach. I think he's. I just think he was a good recruiter. Wait, shockingly, he wasn't a good coach. He literally had no head coaching experience prior to coming to St. John's. Yeah. So not not shocking. They took a risk. It didn't, didn't work, work out. He was a good recruiter. They had some interesting players come through the program, but he couldn't get it done. No. I think under their new coach, I think that they've been upstart. They play a good, quick, fun brand of basketball. They're tough defensively. They make you work for it. I don't think that we should be too worried. I think that when we play at St. John's, it's usually a split crowd. Oh, yeah. I don't see a loss coming here. I think that they'll play us really tough. I think it could be really tight throughout the game, and I think it'll be a fun environment. I wish the game wasn't at 6.30 on a Tuesday. I wish it was – if it was during the week, I wish it would be like a Wednesday or Thursday night at like 8 o'clock. It could be fun. I prefer the weekend games with St. John's, but yeah. whatever. But we that don't being, make the schedule. Yeah, but that being said, I think this is a game that we win. Then, to your point, we're playing Creighton. It's at home. We beat them at their place. I think we've gotten more... We've gotten more better? We've gotten more better. <laughs> I was going to say it. I was like, yeah. We've, got, we've gotten better. Gotten better. Um, than Creighton has. And so I think that we're going to win at home versus Creighton as well. So yeah. I'm... Booking a two and a week. I would agree. O and two would blow my mind. There's in a bad direction. Yeah, I think the only uh, way O and two happens is if Samuel's if is Samuel's out. actually Both out. Games. Yes, yeah. correct. And even then, I still think we should go one and one. But yeah, I think you'd be able to pick. Hopefully, be able to pick up one. But yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> that's my that's my preview for the week. 
after the Creighton game, though, February heats up a lot. So we're going to do a Ooh. big. We're going to do a big February look ahead coming next week. It is going to be fun. Yeah. Um. Quick before we go, awards for the week. So yeah. we gave out the pass the fucking ball award to Cole, Cole Swider. <laughs> yeah. Um. Alpha dog of the week. Uh, the alpha dog of the week for me is uh, JRE. Yeah, I, I think, think that he just had a fantastic week, scoring double figures both games. I think he averaged a double double for the week. Um, you know, he didn't have he didn't have two, but yeah. he averaged it. Um, I just think he made big plays at the right times. He had critical free throws um, in yesterday's game versus Providence. I just think this kid. We talked a couple weeks ago. We weren't seeing progress. Now I'm seeing progress. Yeah, I think that's why I want I give it to him is because we had that call out for we wanted to see the consistency and relative to where he has been, he's really stepped up the past yeah. couple games. So that big jump for me really does it. In, and the fact that he contributed significantly in, in absolute terms for the team as well. Yeah. And he was also involved in our Shaq Fit Man yes. play of the week. Yes. As was Colin, who was our runner-up in the Alpha Dog. Yes. Colin made got a breakaway. It was a critical play in the game because we were trying to hold Providence at bay. Yep. We get a breakaway. We throw. Colin drops a beautiful dime between Providence yeah. players' legs. That was amazing. JRE gets great hands, gets his hands on it. And just throws down a massive dunk. Yep. They call timeout and Jerry's jacked he up. Was bumped, it, yeah. it was it was awesome. It was a great sequence for us. Yeah, it was it was good to see that. Runner up play for the week was uh Cole Swider on that one on his breakaway dunk. But unfortunately <laughs> yeah. it was less meaningful for the game and, and he had other bad things. Yeah, I'm sorry. But that was uh, those are the only points he scored actually. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Bump, bump. Real big yikes. Okay. Anyway. Alright. That's all we got. Uh, for the week, so definitely an exciting week. I think we get our record to eighteen and three by the end of this week, which just sounds crazy. It really does. Um, but yeah, I mean, things are looking up. Um, hopefully, we can get two wins this week and 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 keep keep it hot, and maybe get a little bit hotter shooting, and Ugh, that would be really only. great. And hopefully, Samuels is okay. Um, so we'll be back again with you next week post Creighton game to talk about the week that lies ahead after that. Thanks for listening, and as always, let's go Nova. Nova.